0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I had the privilege, traveling back from Michigan last week, speaking at that snow camp, to listen to the opening message in the series, which obviously I did not preach, but our associate pastor Jeremy did, and he did a wonderful job. And I listened to it uh, actually probably several times, And it was just powerful. I love that we can go back and listen again. I don't know about you, but sometimes that helps. And I was able to do that and really focus in on the message. I wanted to connect with this idea of convictions. Building a solid foundation. Over the next four weeks or so, we're going to be building a solid foundation by establishing some conviction. And conviction requires you and I to be convicted. So this morning, we're going to talk about Are you convicted about change? And that's why most of what we worship, as we worshiped this morning, we talked a lot about God changing us, and it's a day-by-day process, and it uh, it is, yes, justification, but it's also sanctification and glorification. There's so much more. We'll talk about all that in just a moment. We established, though, a purpose for the series. And Jeremy shared it with you last week. I'm going to share it one more time. Not on the screen, but just to your heart. And here it is. That our church family would reestablish... And by the way, when I say church family, I'm talking about specifically families. Or maybe single adults. Just whoever, whatever makes up your family as a part of our family. I'm praying that God would would help you to reestablish and or form convictions... About what you deeply believe in the very practical issues of life. The goal is to build a solid foundation to stand upon when the demands of life are intense. And church, I don't know how much you've been following the news or just experiencing the climate of our nation, even our world. But there's some intense things happening. And some of those are being pointed towards our faith. And we need to be able to stand when these demands become intense. And we need to make up our minds. And sometimes we're not going to have time to do that. We're going to have to learn to do it fast. Convenience, comfort, and pressure will not sway our thinking. So this is the direction we're going over the next few weeks. And this morning, very specifically, we're going to talk about being convicted about change. And we're going to begin with the Word of God, which washes us and and renews our minds, and it's the most powerful tool that I have to share with you this morning, God's Word. So Ephesians 4, look at verse 17. You can follow along as I read on the screen, but even better, follow along in your Bible and underline things and make, make little notes in the margin. If, if you're used to doing that, it's so much more helpful, especially when you go deeper this afternoon with family at the dinner table or maybe at your small group or maybe just in your personal time with God. Verse 17, Paul says to this church at Ephesus, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. And this is because of the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you've actually heard about him and were taught in him and know the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. We're going to actually go through that verse by verse in just a moment. And as we begin or actually continue in this series about convictions, building a solid foundation, I want to ask you this question this morning, and I want you to just begin to answer this question over the next few weeks. Do you have some convictions? Do you have some? Enough of making decisions in the moment. Enough of I hope so. Enough of "Eh, I think so. What about this? In stone. I mean, this I'm going to get a bulldog grip on some things. How about when I'm in this spot, I do this. When I'm in this situation, I've already made up my mind. I have some conviction. This morning, we're going to talk about that. And when it comes to change and what it means to change into the likeness of Christ... Because I want you to know that I believe change is happening in our church. I really do. I believe that God is changing lives here in the midst of our congregation as we begin to learn what Paul said earlier in this letter, to walk worthy of our calling. So today, convicted about change. Why? Because there's power in the transforming gospel. There's power in that. And so change is this. Change, as we're speaking about it this morning, is the idea that when you come to Christ, that's not the end of it. You get the gift of eternal life, yes, and that's wonderful. I love it, and that's a wonderful gift. But you also realize that's just the beginning. You see, it's not just about salvation, (laughs) but it's about sanctification. It's about changing day by day. It's about renewing your mind on a daily basis. And listen, God doesn't just want to forgive me. God wants to change me from the inside out. And God doesn't just want to bless my life with the gift of eternal life. But God also wants to bless his kingdom with the representation of a transformed life right here on planet Earth. And that's the next note. You ready, guys? You're up there? Okay, good. Amen. Right here on planet Earth. Amen. Man, I, I'm kind of excited about that. That really blesses me. I mean, if that's God's intention, if God desires for me to become a representation of him here in this life, then I'm going to need God to change me. I'm going to need God to continue to work in my life on a daily basis because God wants to change us and you and I need to have a, are you ready, conviction about that. A conviction about change. And I'm sad to report to you this morning. And I really am sad about this. I I, I wish I didn't have to say this, but I as I see it, the average professing follower of Jesus Christ is not much different than our non-believing neighbors. And that just, that's, a, that's a heartbreaker. And yet, I don't want to believe that about gospel light. I don't. Call me naive. Maybe I need to get a grip. Maybe I don't know you well enough. Maybe Okay. But I just don't believe you're just here to go through the motions. I, I don't believe you're here just to check in your one hour a week service so you can say, yeah, I went to church this week. I'm, I met a couple of business associates and I'm going to have coffee with them this week and see if it'll kind of turn any finances for me. And I don't think that's why you're here. Call me naive, but I believe you desire to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And believing that, I'm going to preach this message as if you really do want that. There's some prerequisites to change. And I want to give you those to introduce the message. Number one, the first prerequisite to change is this. I must want to change. I must want to change. In other words, can you find some things in your life where where you would actually say, I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm speaking to everybody in the auditorium. I don't want to be like this anymore. With that in mind, we're going to look at the text. And the first thing we're going to notice in the text is there is a downward spiral of ungodliness. It's very evident. And as we look at these things that build upon one another... Paul is basically saying this, he's using life before Christ as motivation for change. That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, I want to remind you of what life was like before you were transformed by the gospel. I want to show you what it's like. I want you, hey, church, remember this? Remember what life was like without Christ? Remember what life was like before he changed you, he saved you, he made you his child? Remember that? And Paul draws our attention to these things because these things should make us want to change. Before he gets to this downward spiral, though, he says in verse 17, Now this I say. Boy, those are strong words. Paul is basically saying, in essence, this I demand. I insist upon this. This is not just some casual conversation. Paul wants to get the attention of the reader. He says, this I say, and then he goes even stronger and says, and testify in the Lord. This is not Paul's personal opinion. Rather, this is what the Lord is influencing Paul to say. Wow. So this I say in the Lord that you must. This is not an option. It's not something I can, you know, again, be apathetic about. You must no longer walk. Every time we see the word walk in Scripture, we need to remind ourselves that this is speaking about the Christian life. The Christian life is a walk. It's a journey, right? It's something we do every day. There's things we learn, there's ways we can, you know, learn more about Christ through his word and become more like Christ. It's it's a walk. And no longer walk as the Gentiles do. A a symbol of pagan living, non-believing people, people who don't know and have not been affected by the transformation of the gospel, Don't, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So number one, the first thing he reminds us about in our past life was this, write it down, trivial thinking. Futility. Can we dive into that word for just a moment? Futility means this, that which fails to produce the desired result. (laughs) It goes on in the Webster's Dictionary to say, a conceiving of a desired end and pursuing it. Only to discover that you can't get there from here. Futility. It's kind of like my golf game. I don't have much of one. But I think even those of you who do a little golfing and you're decent at it, you know, I think you'd probably agree with me, Craig. I mean, you like to golf, right? So let me tell you about my game. It doesn't matter where I hit the ball. When I look at where it's supposed to be, I can't get there from here. (laughs) I could be on the green 20, 30 feet away, and it's like, it ain't happening. (laughs) I mean, how how is that Paul going to get that little hole? I just can't get there from here. And that's life without Christ. That's life without Christ. Remember remember how it was when you were trying to be happy? You said, you know, I want to be happy. And so you said, maybe, you know, I, I think I'll find happiness in career advancement. Oh, I know, I'll I'll just make a bunch of money, and that'll that'll make me happy. And so you spent three decades doing it, and you made a boatload of money. Your bank accounts rose, and it looked like it was going to work out. But in the midst of it all, your kids are shipwrecked, your marriage is now third, fourth, or fifth one, and your life is a mess, and you realized, wow, I didn't get where I wanted to go. It was futile. It was a waste. Futility of mind. Uh, Feudal thinking is never evident more than in the life of an adolescent. Please listen to me. I would never say anything to purposely offend anyone here, but this needs to be said. Your capacity at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age to be able to discern what's best for you is very minimal. why God gave you parents amen happy father's day happy mother's day that's right once a year we kind of thank God for these people right but we should thank God for them every day of our lives you see young people are good at seeing they need something but they're not very good at knowing what it is they need a lot of futile thinking trivial thinking it is said that so many, though, in their 40s, 50s, and 60s still think like adolescents. That's what's a heartbreaking thing. As I watch this, and, and I scratch my head and think, what, you're not going to get there from here. That's not going to work. That's, that's worldly thinking. Where, why are you doing this? And yet we see it even in the church. This, Paul says, is supposed to change. This is the way it used to be. Remember? Remember when you were unsaved, when you were lost, when you didn't have Christ in the center of your life. This is the way it used to be, trivial thinking. But in Christ, this goes out. Number two, he talks about a godless outlook. A godless outlook. Look at verse 18 of our text. They are darkened. It's important for us to know that every time you see dark or darkened or darkness in the Bible, it's speaking about a picture, a picture of rebellious, godless outlook. This is someone who is blind. They just can't see. And then it goes on to say they're darkened in their understanding. Notice the next phrase, alienated from the life of God. This is a life, get this. This would be a life without the transforming influence of the Holy Spirit. This is a life without that. This this is someone who has no unprompted thoughts about God. None. The only time they ever think about God is when they come to church and they're listening and the preacher says something and they're like, oh, that's pretty good. Maybe they get in the car, somebody's got 90.1 on or 91.5, right? And they hear a worship song and they're like, oh, that's a pretty song. And it's got to be prompted though because they're blind they're living in darkness they have no unprompted thoughts about god it goes on to say they do this because of their ignorance that is in them in second timothy chapter 5 and verse 7 paul says to timothy they're always learning but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth they're learning a lot but they're, they're not getting anywhere this is a godless outlook and never have I seen it more today as I was locked up in my house for the most part, in many ways, for four months and had to watch way too much television. didn't have to, but I, I, I probably watched too much news. Anybody ever overdose on it too? You know, come on. Am I, all right, five or six of us? Okay. Oh, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, all of us. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't want to watch as much as I did, but I was home and I'm like, I got to check this out. What's going on and what's going to happen and how many more months and and then they would, they'd have these major problems. I mean, our country was having all these major problems. And then they would call in all these professionals. These people that are supposed to know what to do. And, and I'm listening to them and thinking, this doesn't make any sense. This is not, God was never mentioned. Prayer was never mentioned. No reference to the word of God. No, nothing. No solutions. It was a godless Outlook. That's the news and the media and television today. And then he goes on to point something else out. The moral callousness. People are just hard. He points it out as he, in verse number 18, again I'll read in 19, he says, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here's why, here's why. Due to the moral moral hardness, the hardness of their heart, my son Ezekiel had a basketball injury this past two weeks. He was playing in the, maybe three weeks. He was playing in a game, and he came. His uh, thigh came in contact with another dude's knee, and that's like a hammer. Your knee is hard. Okay, I mean, you know, jujitsu and all these things. They, you know, they they use their legs a lot. They use their knees, and 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 he had a hardness in his muscle that when he when he, he's been to therapy for three weeks to try to loosen it up, his season's probably over because this knee hit his thigh and now has created a almost a tumor like lump that is so or was so hard. It was like, ooh, that's hard. And the Bible is speaking here of of this of life before God. Remember the hardness of your heart. They have become, he says, callous. Their heart is numb. This is a very serious place to be. When you are morally callous, when you're hard-hearted, when you cannot see the truth, it then leads to the fourth thing, the fourth downward spiral to ungodliness. And can I say this with all due respect? I've seen very very few people recover from this one. Very few. Number four, consuming passions. Consuming passions. Notice he said here in the text that they've given themselves over, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Do you remember in the book of Romans chapter 1 where the Bible speaks of things that God gave them up because of these things? God gave them up. Let me tell you, before God gave them up, they gave themselves up. And they gave themselves up to these things to the point where finally God said, you want it that way, you can have it. If that's what you want, if you're not going to listen, if you're going to keep going that direction, hey, I'm going to give you up, but trust me, they gave themselves up first. And here's what it says. They gave themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice, what? Every kind of impurity. These people are completely unwilling to bear the pain of any self-control whatsoever. None. If it feels good, do it. They live like animals. Whatever I want, whenever I want it, whenever I want it. They've given themselves up to every kind of impurity. Church, listen to me. This is life without God. Trivial thinking. A godless outlook, moral callousness, consuming passions. People without Christ are slaves to sin. But God wants His people to change. God wants His people to increasingly become different. Grow. We're being sanctified. The transforming power of the gospel is something that is always working in our lives. And so let's go back to this moment where I challenged you, is there anything right now in your life that you desire to change? Could you write one of those things down? Could you do that right now? Could you just take a moment? I mean, I'm talking very low, You got time to think. The only thing I'm going to say is this, if you're trying to write something down and you're like, well, I could, man, well, no, I'm really good at that actually. And, Well, I could put this, but no, actually, when I think of everybody in the church, I'm better than everybody at that. So maybe maybe it's, no, actually, I'm so good at that, it's unbelief. I mean, if that's you right now, you're in trouble. If you can't think of anything, just just, just write something down. We're going to come back to it later. You know, God, change me. Change me. Change me from the inside out in this area. So if you want to change, you got to realize you got to want it. Number two, the second prerequisite to change is this. There must be, there must be a pattern of change. A pattern of change. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse number 20 as we continue to move through the text says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ that way. And and back to the four things, right? These things that he mentioned, the hardness of the heart, the callousness, the sensuality, the impurities. No, you didn't learn Christ that way. I love this. Look at verse 21. Assuming that that you've heard about him. uh, Assuming that you were taught in him. You see, the entire message that I've been preaching up to this point is assuming that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul did not want to assume that, and so I don't want to assume it either. There's no point in being sanctified if you've never been saved. Don't try to be changed by the gospel if you've never been saved by it. So this morning, if you're here, Listen, this is very important. If you've never been changed by the gospel, then maybe you've never been saved by the gospel, you've never been saved by Christ, and you need to know this, that you can do that right now. How amazing is that? Right in your seat, or maybe after the service, if you'd rather talk to a pastor, you've got to come to the place where you recognize and are willing to admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And then the second thing you've got to be willing to do is not just admit that you're a sinner, but then repent. Repent and turn to Christ. And then, (laughs) embrace Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Embrace Him. And, And put your trust in Jesus. This, my friends, is the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will change your life forever. It's not just a one-time thing. It is a wonderful journey. It is a walk. Number one, you must want to change. But number two, there is a pattern for the change. And can I tell you what the pattern is? Are you ready? Jesus. That's it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. The pattern for change is Jesus Christ. And here are some wonderful references in the Word of God that encourage you and I to follow the only pattern for the Christian life there is. It's not me. It's Christ in me. Trust me. I mean you'll notice in these passages that we're going to read. It's not a person it's as in, well it is a person the person is Jesus. Amen. But it's not a a mortal man it's not Erica Pacey, it's not some elder deacon, friend mentor. No, it's jesus john 13 50, for i've given you an example that you should do just as i have done to you jesus said first corinthians 11 1 be imitators of me as i am of christ ephesians 4 32 be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another why as god in christ our example has forgiven you Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Philippians 2, 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. First Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, and you become imitators of us and of the Lord. 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Church, listen to me. The power for the Christian life is Christ in me. That's the power. But the example for the Christian life is the way that Jesus walked. That's the example. The power is Christ in me. But the example is the way that Jesus showed us to walk. We do as Jesus would do if he were here in our shoes and we can know what Jesus would do. We can know the pattern for the Christian life because we have it right here before us in the living gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. He is our pattern for change. Jesus. Jesus. And then thirdly, there must be not only a desire to change. I must want to change. Then there must be a a pattern for change. But can I give you number three? There must be a plan for it. Got to have a plan to change. So what we're going to do to discover this plan, and it's real simple, it's not real complicated. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of dive deep into something called the old nature. we got to understand something about the old nature. By the way, can I tell you what the old nature is? It's the part of you that wants to sin. So everybody raised their hand who still has an old nature. It should be everybody, okay? All of us. In fact, okay, let me do that again. (laughs) This is how much of me that wants to sin, okay? It's both hands, both feet in the air. Amen, Jeremy? This is the part of me. I have it. Jeremy has it. You have it. We all have it. We need to acknowledge it. The Bible refers to this often. It talks about it being the old man the old nature the bible talks about it in terms like this the flesh or self or selfish desires these are constantly trying to drag me down it's pathetic i mean i've got these voices speaking to me and they're saying do this and get angry and 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 display lust towards that and i mean i am constantly being attacked By my old nature, but I have some really good news. The good news is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you listening? That's good news. Because that, my friends, this, this person in Christ, he's a new creation, which means this, I believe, that the Spirit of God now lives in this person. When the Spirit of God lives in you, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So these two natures, the old and the new, are constantly wrestling and they're battling with one another. One is trying to get me to to do things that I did before I was saved. The other now is reminding me of how much God loves me and what he has taught me and how I can have true joy and not this temporary happiness that leaves me empty all the time, right? And so what do I do? What do I do? What can I do? We find the answer in Ephesians 4. Look at it. Verse 21 Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, here's what you can do. Put off your old self. Say no to self. Brother Kevin, say no. Make a decision of the will to put it off. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. I love that. That's not who you are now. That's your old life. That's not who God created you to be in Jesus Christ. Saying no to your flesh is a decision of the will. For example, can I tell you something? Let me give you an example. I hate to make my bed. Just ask her. I hate it. I, I, I don't Listen, we've been married for, for, for 32 years, and I can count... On, on this, man. I know you're thinking I'm a horrible husband, but she knew this coming in. I'm really good at almost everything, but I'm, I just, I don't see the logic in it. If it's going to be messy again tonight, well, let's just leave it messy. i just crawl up into the old, it's no big deal. She doesn't see it that way. So, what do I do about that problem? Make a decision to make the bed. It's just that simple. It's a decision of the will. Listen to Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And listen, it is corrupt. This is a picture of your old nature. It's corrupt. It's nasty. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. It's like like inviting somebody over your house for, for nachos. And you remember that a year ago, you had this homemade dip that you made that you put in the basement. And you haven't used it in a year. So you go down to the basement and you get it out of the refrigerator that hasn't been on in a year. And you pull it out and it, I mean, the aroma is like disgusting. It's got mold going all over it. You bring it upstairs to serve it to people. That's corruption. That's nasty. Let me introduce you to your old nature. This is your old nature. This is how God describes your flesh. It's corrupt. And get this, it also mentions it's corrupt through deceitful desires. The corruption of the old nature is this, that it always is lying. It says one thing, but it's, it's not true. You see, your flesh comes to you and says, hey, man, you're alone. Turn on the computer, click that button, watch that pornography. It's, nobody's going to know it. It's not going to really mess you up. Big deal. You're not really hurting anybody. And then your new nature says, but I want you to think holy things, and I want you to be faithful and loyal to your spouse. And, and, and that, that's if you even think something in your heart, listen, I, I, and there's this battle going. And by the way, every time your flesh speaks, just say no. No, you're a liar. That's a lie. That'll ruin my marriage. That'll wreck my life. That'll mess up my thinking. Your flesh comes to you and and says, hey, spend that money. Charge it up. Have fun. Do what you want to do. You don't have to listen to that. Uh, The elder gets up 10%. Big deal. I mean, he's crazy. That's stupid. You earn that money. That's a lie. That is a lie. God has told us in his word what he'll do when we're good stewards of that which he's given us. Don't you believe the lie? John eight forty four 44 says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies Don't believe the lies of your flesh. Everything my own nature tells me is a lie. Everything. It promises me good. It gives me corruption. It promises joy. It gives misery and shame every time. That's why Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. We need to put that off. So this plan has two parts. The first part of the plan is put off the old nature. But the second part of the plan is to put on something. Look, if you would please, at verse 23. It says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So the second part of the plan is put off the old nature, put on the new nature, which is this, to renew your thinking. You got to stop thinking the way that you used to think. If I'm going to change, I have to change in my thinking. We all have Listen, we all have an old way of thinking that needs to change. So let me give you three ways to renew your mind. Number one, choose your friends. Choose your friends. You see, if, you're, if all your friends are old nature friends, guess what? You're going to listen to the old nature. Oh, yeah. If all your friends are old nature friends, if all your friends are friends that, 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 that did the things that you did before you became a new creature, you will do the old nature things. If you are going to renew your mind and change your thinking, you're going to need to choose some new nature friends. And it's an amazing thing. I mean, I remember when I began to make some of these changes in my own life and, you know, I would be with some new nature friends at church and some of my old nature friends would show up and, man, they were a little rough and they cussed and, and, and had a, you know, they, they tried to get me to come back over and hang out with them. and do, I said, no, I've got, I've got some new friends. I, and, and my new friends would be like, whoa, those are, who are those guys? Oh, they're just my old nature friends. You know, used to hang out with them, but I like you guys now. I want to hang out with you. I've got a new nature. I know what some of you are thinking. You don't like that because you know, well, we got to hang out with him and we got to win him. And I'm, hey, that's another sermon. But this sermon, you know what I'm talking about. Don't mix sermons together right now. We're talking about if you're going to if you're going to change your way of thinking, you've got to hang around the right people. New nature friends. Church, that's why you need small group. That's why you need a local assembly like this to get people around you that can encourage you and can speak life into you. And can and I love the fact that we have that here in Gospel Lot a community of believers that live life together to encourage one another and exhort one another to good works. This is huge. Limit your enslaving relationships. Number two, choose your entertainment. Choose your entertainment. You know, some things <clears throat> some things that I, I do, I really enjoy. Like, I really enjoy some of the entertaining things that God has led me to be involved in and do. And I mean, I you're looking at one really joyous person. I, if I look back at this last week, I can honestly say... I loved it. It was a great week. It was a week full of things that God allowed me to be a part of, people's lives, some different conversations, even some fun and some good meals. And I mean, I I get it. We all need that. I even am reading some really good books right now, some new nature books. I've watched a few new nature movies. I listen to new nature music. But I'm going to tell you, there's some old nature books. In old nature movies, in old nature music, old nature concerts that will drag you down. And it isn't entertaining to feed your flesh. It just isn't, okay? It's entertaining to feed your spirit. It brings real joy to feed your spirit. And if you want to change your mind, you've got to choose your friends. You've got to choose your entertainment. And you've got to choose God's Word. Choose God's Word. Because nothing will renew your mind like the Word of God. Not even close. Man, my discipleship group consists of Jim Thomas. Who's been who's sick this weekend? I pray for him. Jason Van Ez, who's also been through a really rough time and been sick, but he's not here this weekend either. And then Jacob Spradlin's here. But I've got those three guys, and I'm the fourth, right? And we get together, and I'm telling you, man, we are having a time. That little discipleship group has turned into a revival within this church. It's a revival. Jim Thomas, he's, I think, he's probably listening right now. Jim, I love you. He's, um, he's about 65 or 6 years old and since we've started having our discipleship group he told me that he's actually listened to the word of god from genesis to revelation he did it in two months and he said i'm 64 i've never done it one time in my life it's changed me i said jim what are you gonna do now he said do it again that is a charismatic dance right in front of the church that's amazing what i just i know it wasn't very fancy and I'm sorry if it offended you, but this is what happens when, when your friends are being transformed by the Word of God. When you've got a buddy that looks at you since you've been getting together with good friends and studying God's Word, and he decides to read it in two months, and you ask him, what's next? And he says, I'm going to do it again. That deserves a Holy Ghost dance in front of the congregation. And Jason Van Ness, if he texts me one more time a podcast... I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't listen to them all, Jason. Podcasts, verses, scriptures, devotions. Right, Jacob? Every day, it's like, listen to this. Guys, this bless me. Sometimes it's like a picture of a sunset. I see God in this sunset. I'm like, I don't know if I see, but okay, it's good, you know. The guy's on Fire. And I watched Jacob growing and, and grace and my buddy Jacob spraddling and God taking him. And man, if you knew his past, if you knew the way he was raised. I mean, this past month, his mother died. His sister was murdered. You say, well, he's probably out of church. No, he's sitting right there with his family. He has found that, listen, this old world's got nothing to offer. But God, God in his word is changing us. And that's not to say of the pastor how God's changing me. Nothing will change your life like the Word of God. It'll get the filth out of your life. It'll just clean you up. It'll wash you from the inside out. Your attitude will change. Your outlook will change. Your anxiety will turn into confidence in God. These things happen. When you choose your friends, you choose your entertainment, and you choose God's Word. So three prerequisites of change. I must want to change. There's a plan for change. There's a pattern for change. Get rid of the old nature. Put on the new nature. Not just the things I don't do, but the things that I do do. Amen? There's a battle going on, and and I'm in this battle at all times. I mean, there is a battle going on between the old nature and the new nature. Let me give you an illustration. Just name a sin, one sin. It doesn't matter. Just Throw out of sin. All right, so lust. Lust. That's probably one of the top ones. I mean, I know sin is sin, but let's just face it. Men, we struggle with it. Probably ladies, you struggle with it. Lust. So I'm in a battle. I've got a voice over here, the old nature, speaking loud and ugly. Saying, you know what? You deserve it. You deserve to have some things that, you know... Really? I mean, really? You can't even think it? Come on, that's impossible. Man, just loosen up. Enjoy some things. You deserve it, Eric. But I've got the new nature saying. Remember, you've got a wife and a family that I gifted you with, you've got grandkids. My desire for your life is purity, holiness, faithfulness to your spouse. And yes, Eric, if you think it about a woman, You've done it with her. So you need to keep keep clean, son. Anger. Anger's a sin. You tick me off, man. Somebody ticks me off, tells me something I don't want to hear. You know what? Give them a piece of your mind. Tell them off. Who are they? You're the pastor. Who do they think they are? You're driving down the road. Somebody cuts you off. Man, ride their bumper. Flip them off. I mean, hey, give them a piece of your mind, right? Or... The new nature says, hey, Eric, slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to listen. Hey, Eric, quit wearing the T-shirt and not living the life. You see, there's a battle going on between the old nature and between the new nature. And I want you to know that I will never stop changing because Christ in me, He's giving me the opportunity and the strength and the power. Listen, I'm not content with where I am because God saved me to change me. And He is changing me. In fact, in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s, even in my 60s and my 70s, I've got an example of my mother-in-law Mrs. Yoshida who is a godly woman 85 years of age and you talk to that precious woman and she will tell you like she did me and Raz and Esther and Neva this past week or not Neva she wasn't here but she usually is she'll tell us you know God's been working on me about this and I look at my 85 year old godly mother-in-law and think wow man if God's still working on you at 85 I got a lot of work to do and she'll share it, what God showed her in her prayer life and what God showed her in the Bible. And I had a bad attitude about that person, but I, I just read this verse, and God told me to change. I'm like, you go, girl. Look at you. That's why our younger woman should go to the older woman and seek their counsel. They've got a lot to offer. Let me give you four practical insights. People change, and I'm done. People change when, number one, when they admit they need to change. Let me ask you a question. Did you have a tough time a minute ago when I asked you to write something down that you need to change? Did you have a tough time with that? Well, I don't... I mean, maybe somebody was sitting next to you and you didn't want to write it because they... This dude's a mess. Well, just do this. I'm a mess. Just admit it. Just say, yeah, that, that's mine. What's yours? What's your problem? Huh, I got one. People change when they admit they need to change. Number two, people change when they allow others to point out the specifics. Listen, our hearts deceive us. I'm speaking from experience. Listen, I don't always see my weakness. Trust me. There have been many times when my wife has pointed out something in my life that, I mean, I didn't see it. In fact, I probably told her the first time. I don't need to change that. You know, I'm good. And she's like, okay, whatever, but I'm telling you. It's not good. Yeah. You know? and, and I've had others in the church point things. Oh, listen, people grow when they allow other people to speak into their life. Do you have anybody that speaks into your life? Anybody? Do you have anybody that just that confronts you sometimes Just says, you know what? That, I'm really concerned about this. That leads me to number three. People change when they are accountable to others to change. Which means somebody that knows what you said you would change and can ask you if you are. I've struggled, somebody admits maybe a struggle with something. And you have given someone permission anytime they want to ask you. Hey, how are you doing with that? You said you were trying to, to get out of debt. How's that coming? You, you said you were trying to, to stop watching that particular uh, uh, website or, 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 or that pornography or that how's it coming? Teenager, You said you were going to stay pure from here on. How's that going? That's what I'm talking about. People change when they are accountable to someone to change. And number four, people change when they commit. To people for the long haul. This is a tough one. I mean, people are leaving marriages left and right all the time. People are leaving churches. People are leaving jobs. People are walking away. Listen, people change things when they don't want to change. People change marriages. They walk away from a marriage and change marriages when they come against with what won't change in the other person. And because it won't change, they just walk away. People change churches when they come to a place where, well, you know what, I don't like that about pastor, and he's obviously not going to change, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Until you find something wrong with that pastor, then you'll go somewhere else. Until you find something, how, how long would you like me to do that? People change jobs all the time. Well, my boss, well, this employee. Can I tell you something real quick, just as a word of testimony? I, 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 I've been married for 32 years pastored this church for 28 years and I've been been—I've had two jobs in my life basically, seven years at Sears and 32 years in the ministry and that's about it and it's not because I work with perfect people and it's not because I'm a perfect person are you with me? it's tough there's been many times in pastoring this church where I wanted someone to change or I, I just say I wanted you to change and you didn't and guess what? Just hung in there because I know there's many times you've wanted me to change. In my marriage, can I tell you there's been times my wife, I know for a fact there have been things in our marriage that if she would have decided, if you're not going to change, I'm out of here, she could have left many times. Yes. She married an imperfect husband. She married an imperfect pastor. And she found that out pretty quickly. But we learned this. That if you'll stick with it for the long haul. And how many times has my wife said, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray about it. I'm just going to pray. Here's her famous line. Famous line. Kids have heard this a million times. I'm going to pray that God shows you. I used to hate it. Would you go to that Pray pray that God will. I'm the pastor. I'm the one supposed to be saying that. I'm going to pray that God shows you how you're supposed to love me you know what she didn't walk away she stuck with me she committed for the long haul and guess what I'm doing better huh I mean what are you going to say it's in front of the whole church I mean (laughs) you want to keep me accountable right now you want to ask me a few questions I mean I mean I'm not there yet I'm still in the sanctification process Jordan I'm still there thanks for the song this morning I'm still not the best husband but I'm I'm better than I was. Jobs. Jobs are tough to stay at, you know, but I tell you, sometimes I think we just need to stick with it. Come against a problem and we come against a a wall and instead of just walking away. So sometimes I just, I want to recommend, listen, stay with your church, stay with your marriage, stay with your job. Let God change you. Because change is not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's about being transformed by the power of the gospel. That's change. Are you convicted about that? Are you convicted about that? God, I will never stop changing. I will never stop changing. You know, this morning, and I'll close with this, and I'll make this part of our response time, but I, I was in my office, and God just pointed me to Romans chapter 12, and I didn't give, have given it to the media guys, and so I had to text them, and I was crying in my office when I did it. I was, I was under such great, beautiful conviction by the Holy Spirit about this, and I just texted Ken Reed, and I said, Ken, would you add Romans 12, 1 through 3 in the New Living Translation? And just, I want to read it to the church before I pray. So I'm going to read it to you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you actually are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us. Call me naive. Maybe I've got you pegged wrong. But I think I pastor a church where the people want to change. I guess we'll see. My prayer for you is from the inside out. Lord my soul cries out change me change me Father I love you God I pray that you continue to work in our lives speak to us this morning Holy Ghost of God we're all yours we're ready we're ready for you to do your work Jesus the next few weeks we yield our lives to you I yield my body to my soul my soul to my spirit my spirit to the Holy Spirit God Teach me. Show me. Lord, I give you full range of authority in my life to point out the things in me that need to change. And God, week upon week, may this grow and grow and build into a sermon series that builds a strong foundation in the perilous days that we live in. God, I love you. and I thank you. And I pray that you bless the preaching and reading and hearing of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?